Hey, friends. This is Robert Polly, your host, with uh, just a quick note on what you're about to hear. This uh, interview originally aired on Sunday, September 30th, 2012, which happened to land during KUSP's fall pledge drive when we ask listeners like yourselves for financial support. But uh, for this online version, I'm going to spare you the begging for dollars and get right to the unadulterated interview itself, which is with the British comedian Shazia Mirza. She's coming to San Francisco's Punchline Comedy Club on Wednesday, October 3rd. Shazia has sometimes been described as the world's first female Muslim comedian, but as she told me, she's really not fond of that description because uh, her material really isn't about being a Muslim woman. But uh, I think it is fair to say that she is something of a comedy pioneer. She has taken her act to parts of the world and to audiences where stand-up comedy is rare or unknown, and the very idea of a woman delivering jokes on stage is new and even kind of mind-blowing. She's had some really interesting uh, reactions from audiences, and we're going to get to that. But uh, we started out talking about how she breaks in new material, often at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland. What do you learn when you first present new material? What do you learn from the audience? What do you learn from delivering it? Well, the first time I do new material, um, often people don't laugh or they don't laugh that much or they don't laugh at all. And so what I learn is never to do that piece of material again. (laughs) Or if I do something and it gets a bit of a titter, maybe a small laugh, then I think maybe I can develop it or um, change the way I'm saying it or say it differently in order to to maximize the laugh out of that. How's that feel, though, when you deliver something and you get no laughs back? Well, believe it or not, I'm quite used to it. Um, over the years, obviously, when I was developing and trying to try out new stuff, I used to die all the time. I used to stand on stage and have people not laugh at me. I've had people throw things at me while I've been on stage. I've had people throw shoes at me while I'm on stage. Um, and so, so many horrendous things have happened to me on stage that really me standing on stage and no one laughing is not that bad compared to the things that I've been through previously. You, you, you um, started as a comic when? In 2001. So about 11 years ago, still not a, a really long time ago. Uh, and, you, and you stuck with it despite all these terrible things? Well, actually, I didn't. I didn't really start getting paid for it till in till two thousand and four. And so, so many things have happened to me on stage. I've toured all over the world, and um, I've been to some places where they've never had comedy before me. You know, uh, places like Pakistan, Kosovo, um, and I recently toured India, where comedy still knew there as well, and. Um, I didn't know going to these countries whether something would work or not. Well, I'd love to hear about that. Um, you say you'd been where comedy had never been before. You mean stand-up is it, simply not performed? Yeah, I mean, when I went to Pakistan uh, to perform, um, they had never had stand-up comedy as we do it in England and America. They'd never had it, and They'd never had a woman doing it. And uh, in some places in Pakistan, uh, they don't even have humor. (laughs) So, I I mean, I was quite nervous. Uh, And a lot of people had turned up to see me. Like, my first show was a 1,000 people in a tent outside in in Lahore. 
And um, you know, how do you know it's how do you know how it's going to go? You have perceptions of this country. My parents are from Pakistan, and um, you know, they they certainly didn't have comedy when they were growing up, and so you know, I didn't know how people were going to react if they would laugh, uh, what they would find funny. I mean, what we find funny in England and America. Um, they may not find funny in Pakistan. And also, you know, it was quite shocking to them. I just went to India. It was, it was really surprising to people that I, I'm a woman and I do stand-up comedy. And that's all they talked about in the <laughs> papers. And I was going on stage in India for the first time. This is just four or five weeks ago, and people were whispering, is it really a woman? <laughs> is it really a woman? Um, and so I don't have those problems in San Francisco. <laughs> so um, I'm really looking forward to coming. <laughs> um, I want to know, know more about these gigs, though. The one in uh, Lahore, for instance. So not only aren't people used to stand-up comedy, but seeing a woman do it is, you know, a huge shock. What was their reaction? In, in Pakistan? Yeah. Well, uh, my parents are from Pakistan, and... I have been to Pakistan many times. It's, a, it's really wonderful, and it's, it's not how it's portrayed in the media. You know, there's, everybody's not backward. Everybody's not like the Taliban. Everybody's, you know, there are some very educated liberal people, and Lahore is the center of all the arts, which is where I was performing at the, at the, the World Performing Arts Festival in Lahore, where they had invited people from all over the world to perform at that arts festival. But they had never had stand-up comedy, and they'd never had a woman performing it, and um, it went really well. I mean, I did. I was booked to perform three shows. They all sold out, and I had to put on an extra three shows. Part of it was um, novelty and sort of, oh, I've never seen this before. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's writing about it. I want to go and see what it is. But they actually laughed. People were laughing. And because in many ways it's such a repressed country, like the things that you can say and you can't say in public uh, are a lot of things. Like in Pakistan and India, they don't talk about sex openly, which is weird because nobody's doing it more than the Indians. And um, um, they don't satirize their politicians like we do in England. That's a no-no. And they don't talk about relationships and they don't talk about drugs. And they don't make jokes about God or religion. The first time I went to India, they said to me, don't do jokes about religion, sex, uh, politics, don't swear. I mean, I had no act left, to be honest. <laughs> but um, the thing is, uh, it's always the promoters that censor the audience on their behalf. What I found is when I go on stage and I start my show, the things that people laugh at most and that they want to hear most about are sex religion, politics, relationships. That is what they want to hear most about. And yet uh, promoters and people in power, they speak on the people's behalf and they think, you know, let's not do that. Let's not joke about that. We don't want any trouble. But that's exactly what the people want to hear because those are the things that they've been told that they can't laugh about in the first place. So when I was in India last month and I was... Um, I don't talk a lot about sex or anything like that. My material is not blue at all. Um, but I mentioned, I was talking about my parents' marriage, and 
um, people stood up in the middle and started shouting, go further, go further, <laughs> we want to hear more. They wanted the rudest, crudest stuff that they can't laugh about in, in real life. That's what they wanted to hear. Well, what was the most risque thing you worked into your act in uh, Pakistan or India? Um, well, in Pakistan, at the time, um, what happened is um, Benazir Bhutto, the Prime Minister of Pakistan, had been shot. Actually, I don't know if she was Prime Minister at the time, but she was campaigning. She was campaigning, yeah. campaigning. That's right. To be uh, in power. Yes. And she was shot. And obviously, uh, nobody has ever been convicted of this murder and nothing's ever happened or nothing's been done about it. And I made a joke uh, because this was a hearsay and everybody was talking about it. I made, I made a joke and I said, you know, in America they have the American dream, which is, you know, any man can be president. Well, in Pakistan they have the Pakistani dream, which is if you murder your wife, you can also become president. Um, because uh, allegedly, Asif al-Zaldari who was Benazir Bhutto's husband, had murdered her, had ordered her assassination. This was the rumor. This is what everyone believes still. So I just picked up on the mood of the nation, and I said that. And people stood up and started clapping and stamping their feet. Wow. Now, I said risque. That sounds not only risque, but, but truly risky. I mean, were you afraid? Were you afraid that you might... You know, get no, arrested. People were laughing. As well, long as people are laughing, I always feel safe. <laughs> yeah, but when they stop laughing and you go back to your hotel, aren't you afraid they'll be arrested or something? <laughs> I was not scared. I just saw a thousand people laughing, and I thought, "This is great." They and we're talking the same language. They know what I know. We all know the same thing. So nothing did happen. Nothing bad did happen. No, it's strange. Nothing happened. I've been to Pakistan three times now to perform, and. It's always been wonderful. Their audiences have been great, and they've loved it. And and it was the same with India. Uh, I went five, six weeks ago, and they loved it, too. So are they better than, uh, say, English audiences? Well, everybody knows me in England, and um, we have a very high standard of comedy in England. We watch all the great American comics, and we, we sort of idolize, you know, George Carlin and uh, Richard Pryor, and Seinfeld and, and all the um, great comedians. We, you know, we want to be like them, and we have a high standard of comedy in England. Um, but often I go to places where they don't know what comedy is. I went to my hometown recently, which is Birmingham, where I was born, which is two hours from London. It's, it's England's second biggest city. And I did, um, I did a show for some Muslim Pakistani men. I didn't do a show for them, but that was the main um, proportion of the audience. And they were um, between 17 and 25. And I went on stage, and I'd been on stage about three minutes, and I was just talking to the audience, bantering with them, trying to warm them up. And I mentioned the word orgasm, <laughs> and they started throwing shoes at me. People took their shoes off and started throwing shoes at me and then cans and then bottles of water, full bottles of water. And I thought, isn't this just really bizarre? This is just crazy. I've been all over the world. I mean, I performed in Pakistan and Dubai and Kosovo and 
And India, I've performed in some dangerous places, in some dangerous situations, and only in my hometown do people start throwing things at me, throwing their shoes at me for saying the word orgasm. And I got dragged off the stage. <laughs> oh, my God. So I don't know if you hung around to see, but I, I'm wondering, did all these guys have to then climb up on stage and sort through this pile of shoes to get their footwear back? They just stood there. <laughs> they just stood there, and they were happy to let their clothes go, their shoes go, whatever, just as long as I was attacked and dragged off the stage. Now, how did that feel to you? Did that feel awful or did it feel kind of exhilarating well at the time when i'm on stage i'm always in comedy mode so obviously i blew them a kiss and said goodbye and made a joke of it but when i came off stage i was so shocked i and i said to the organizer i have to go back on and actually do my act because i haven't even started my act and they said no it's too dangerous we don't think you should go back on you'll get attacked and and then i just walked to my car by myself, nobody had offered to walk to my car. Then, a few hours later, on my Facebook fan page, I had the most awful emails from these guys. And it's always the people who can't spell that feel they have the most to say in life. And yet, they can't articulate this. So I had all these awful emails from them, which I've left up on my Facebook fan page so that people can read them. Badly spelt, um, and just so out of proportion, really, with what happened. I mean, they said to me things like, we can never, ever forgive you for what you said today. It's just so out of proportion with what happened that I, I suddenly realized that they're not attacking me for what I said. It's probably that they're just not used to seeing a woman doing stand-up comedy, and um, they were just offended by me. I could have said anything, I think, and I, I would have got the same reaction. Now, this is in England. This is in Birmingham. Um, these guys have no doubt seen women speaking out on television and elsewhere in public yes, life. But not, but not Muslim women, I don't think. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, was it intense because you are one of their own, a Muslim you know, woman of Pakistani descent? Well, I mean, you say I'm one of their own. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that they would ever want to claim me as one of their own. I mean, but... Um, I think it's just that I was on stage, a woman on stage saying what she wants to say. Um, they said it was disgusting, it was it was wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's so out of proportion with what I said. By, by the way, what exactly did you say about orgasm? I didn't even discuss this topic. I don't even, I don't even know what one is. I mean, I said it in... <laughs> I came on stage and loads of girls started screaming because I came on stage. And I said, oh, my God, you're so excited. You look like you're having an orgasm. Oh, wow. wow. what I said. I mean, it wasn't even a, a discussion on, on what it is or a joke about... That's what I said. That's exactly what I said. So, Shazia, is that the most intense, violent reaction you've had to your act on stage? Or Yeah, that is, I think, yeah. But you've, en you've endured moments that you were describing earlier of just zero laughter, of... Um... Yeah, but that's nothing. If someone doesn't <laughs> laugh, I mean, I mean, what's that? I mean, if somebody throws a shoe in your face, I mean, that's going to hurt a bit more. If somebody doesn't laugh, I just think that that is part of the process of being a comedian, is that you've got to try things out that won't work in order for things to work. And that as a comedian, you have to die many times before you become great and good at what you do. 
Well, I, st- I still think you have to be a tough person, I mean, to endure the dying process that you just described. I don't think a lot of people would necessarily ever want to go through that, much less repeatedly, in order to become a comedian. I think that takes a certain thick skin, doesn't it? Yeah, I really wanted to be a comedian. No, it wasn't something I planned to do. It was something that happened by accident. But now that I'm doing it, I want to be, I want to be the best at it, I, you know, Everybody wants to be the greatest at doing something that they love. I mean, if I wanted to be mediocre, I, I'd still be a teacher, which is what I was before. But now that I'm doing this and I love it, I want to be great at it. What was it, though, that made you leap into comedy after having been a school teacher and I guess having gotten some degrees in biochemistry <laughs> yeah. before becoming a science teacher? Why this uh, attraction to comedy? It was an accident, really. I used to teach some very rough children, and um, they hated being there, and I hated being there. So we both hated being there. So to pass the time, we sort of amused each other. They didn't learn anything. I didn't teach them anything, but we had a good time. But but you you saw that maybe doing that professionally would be gratifying? No, I, I, I started off doing it just to try it out. I never thought that I'd be doing it 10 years later. Was there much humor in your life growing up? Well, when we were growing up, we used to watch comedy in our house all the time. My mum, she used to watch like uh, British male comedians like um, Kenny Everett, Frankie Howard. It's funny, they were all gay men, but I don't think she realized they were gay. Um, and she just used to find them really funny, and we used to have comedy on, on in our house all the time. I remember watching Richard Pryor live on Sunset Strip um, on TV. We watched a lot of comedy. You grew up in a, a somewhat traditional Muslim household? It was very traditional. So I'm thinking Richard Pryor on Sunset Strip. I mean, that's some seriously <laughs> X-rated kind of comedy. What did your family I think, think of I it? I understood it all. Uh-huh. <laughs> you are a practicing Muslim right now. Is that true? Well, I don't know how do you define that. You're a believer? Uh, is that right? Or? Well, I think just because you believe in God, it doesn't mean that you're practicing. Okay. I had read that you had actually made the the Hajj, is that right? The pilgrimage yeah. to, to Mecca? No, no, no. I've done Umrah, which is not Hajj. Okay. I've done Umrah. I've done it twice. I've been to Saudi Arabia. I've been to Mecca. I mean, I don't smoke. I don't drink. But I don't pray five times a day either. mm I'm like those Jewish people. You know those Jewish people that are not religious, but they're very cultural, but mm-hmm. they still call themselves Jews. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of friends like that. Mm-hmm. I know we don't have the same in Islam, but it's sort of like that. But do you do religious material then in your in your comedy? No. So when people um, describe you as the world's first Muslim woman comic, that doesn't mean that you're doing humorous material no. about being a Muslim woman. No, I don't, I've got nothing to say about it. Mm. I don't feel anything mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in comedy you have to be passionate about what you're talking about, and you have to want to talk about it. So what things are you passionate about? Well, whatever I, in my, my new material that I'll talk about being British, how I feel very British, but when I'm in America, uh, people don't see me as British. They get very confused because I'm brown and I have an English accent and they think I'm Mexican. Um, 
And um, <laughs> how when I first came to LA, I, I, people were offering me cleaning jobs um, because I was moving into this apartment, and the woman thought I was the cleaner. They can't understand that I'm brown, I have an English accent, and I'm British, and I feel really British. I went to the Olympics this year, and this is how I realized that I was really British, is that um, there was a Muslim woman from Saudi Arabia. She was the first track athlete ever to be allowed to compete in the Olympics. Um, she was the first female track athlete, and she wore the hijab, covered her head. She was running in the 800 meters, and she came last. She finished 45 seconds behind the winner. And this is what is so British. 80,000 people gave her a standing ovation. Like, they didn't stand for the winner. They didn't stand for the person that came second or third. They stood for, up for the loser. Only in Britain would we stand up for the loser. Like, that wouldn't work anywhere else. In America, you would not be standing for the loser, because in America, it's all about winning. That's right, yeah. You know, in America, you'd put her on the first plane to Guantanamo Bay and say, look, sorry, you showed us up. But in England, we love, we love a loser. We love, we love, 80,000 people stood for the loser. And I was one of those 80,000 people, and that's when I realized I'm so British. You think that's true, you know, in general then? Um, Britain loves a loser? We always support the underdog, always. We support the underdog um, and... That's such a British thing uh, to congratulate her and say, oh, don't worry, you came last. You didn't just finish last. You, fu you finished really last, like <laughs> nearly a lap behind everyone else. But never mind that. It's not the winning, it's the taking part. Whereas in America, it's all about the winning. It's all about success. Have you had to deal uh, in your trips to the U.S. with American uh, perceptions of Islam? Uh, no, I, I have perceptions of me. I mean, uh, people think I'm Mexican. They can't understand why I have an English accent. Um, the last time I was there, I was talking to this woman, and she said, um, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from England. And she said, oh, but you have a proper English accent. <laughs> oh, no. How did you get that? And I'm having to prove that I'm English. She thought I had bought my accent. I'd gone somewhere and trained myself up to talk English. And that's why I was a brown person with an English accent. She couldn't understand that there were there are brown people in England and that we can be born there. Shazia, I swear so, to you, we are not all that ignorant. Believe me, we are not. <laughs> I know, I know. That's why I'm coming to San Francisco, because uh, it's, it's safe. Because the people in San Francisco are not like that. And Shazia Mirza will be performing in San Francisco at the Punchline Comedy Club on Wednesday, October 3rd. You can find out more at punchlinecomedyclub.com. This has been the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly, and I'll be back with a full-length, hour-long show next week. I hope you tune in then. In the meantime, you can hear past shows and learn more at our website, 7thAvenueProject.com.